Uh, tonight, I want to share with you a message I've entitled, The Greatest Rescue in History. All right, we're going to have a little history lesson. How many of you love history? Yeah, I, lo I love to read. I love books. Anyone else love books? Love books. Um, I have a Kindle. It's good to read in the dark, but, um, but I like the feel of a book. I like, I like the smell of a book. <laughs> I have some books from my grandparents that not only hold sentimental value, but when I open them and I'm like, I'm a little boy again, you know, in the, in the living room because it, it smells like their house. It really does. Um, those fond memories just rush in my mind. Um, also, I think it's a little bit easier on my eyes than looking at a screen when I'm, when I'm reading a book. But um, what about you watching online? Any of you like to read or types of books that you like to read? Why don't you leave us a comment? Feel like you're part of the group here. You're, you're part of our congregation tonight. You may not be here in person, but you're, you're part of our congregation. Um, you know, I wish I were a faster reader and um, wish I could remember more of what I read. But uh, in spite of speed or retention, um, you know, I still love books. And we're going to talk about the greatest book of all, and that is the Bible. You know, most of the books that I own are, are nonfiction. You know, I like um, theology books, history and science, um, plus how-to books like digital design and textbooks and things like that for creative things like music and, and drawing. But of course, I still love a good story. How many of you love a good story? Mm-hmm. What type of genres do you like to read? You know, adventure, historical fiction, lots of different stories, right? Well, in our Q&A time, we're going to be able to talk a little bit more about stories, but those of you online, if you'd like to, to chime in and um, kind of put down what you like most or what type of genres you enjoy most, um, go ahead and leave us that comment. You know, as I mentioned before, there's no greater book in history than the Bible, and no other book even comes close to worldwide distribution or, you know, it always remains the bestseller among all books. But the Bible is more than a book. Um, it's a collection of books, actually. It's, it's a book of books. You know, you have the book of Exodus, the book of Proverbs, for example. But while the Bible is not a science book, science has never disproven anything in the Bible. And, in fact, there have been numerous discoveries within the last, you know, thousand years, hundred years that were written in the Bible we knew nothing about but now could validate. The Bible is not, also not a history book. But historians and archaeologists have never been able to disprove anything in the Bible. And even within the last few recent decades, uh, there have been archaeological discoveries that have proven things in the Bible that were previously unproven. For instance, you know, a literal King David who was mentioned in the Bible, but up until recent decades, there was no archaeological evidence of him. But when I say the Bible is more than a book, it's, it's more than print on a page, or on a screen. It's the very word of God. You know, every year at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, born a babe in a manger in a town of Bethlehem. And the stories leading up to and including Jesus' birth can be read in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And most of us are familiar with that. But I wanted to take a look from a different perspective in John's Gospel because it's unique on how he describes Jesus, not as an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, but 
as a light shone in the darkness, and as the word became flesh. So we're going to read this together, um, and we're going to start in John chapter 1, right at the beginning, with the words, in the beginning. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the world, so the word became human. Some translations say the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Do you hear the Christmas story in that? Like I said earlier, I love a good story, and, and the Bible contains the greatest stories ever told. And as the Bible isn't a history book, nor a story book, it is history, it is his Story. History, his story. It's the story of Jesus and his plan to redeem mankind from an eternity of death and separation from God to an eternity of life in fellowship with God. That's his story. That's what we celebrate at Christmas to redeem mankind from an eternity of death and separation from God to an eternity of life in fellowship with God. So we're going to ask ourselves, what makes a story? You know, many of you probably have heard these terms before, character, plot, setting. Okay, characters are like protagonists, antagonists, hero, villain. They're, they're the people in the story. The plot is what's happening in the story. And the setting is where it's happening. You know, many stories begin with once upon a time, don't they? I'm sure you've probably read many stories to your children. Once upon a time there was, right? There's a beginning to every story. But remember, the Bible is his story. So let's take a look back at, chapter, at John chapter 1. Rather than uh, once upon a time, we read in the beginning. Sound familiar? The very first book of the Bible, Genesis, starts with these same exact three words, in the beginning. But John takes it a step further. See, he writes, in the beginning, the word already existed. Who's the word? Jesus. And through Jesus, he says, everything was created. He says, Jesus is the true light, and no amount of darkness can overcome it. 
I mean, every good story has drama, right? Well, personify the light and the darkness, and we have our two main characters, our protagonist and our antagonist. Now, this story is not a work of fiction. This is real life. But what's a comfort to know is that the darkness cannot win. No amount of darkness can overcome the light. I mentioned once before when I spoke that I once visited the Grand Canyon. Excuse me, I did visit the Grand Canyon, but that's not what I meant to say. Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And um, we were in a large cavern. In fact, they said a blue whale could fit in that cavern. And we're all being led, and there's a little string of lights that we're following because, you know, we wouldn't be able to see it anyway. And the person has a little wireless microphone, the guide, and they're talking and talking, and, and we're listening and following him. He says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn the lights off, and I want everyone to stand still. And so he turned that little strip light off, and you could not see anything. I mean, you bump your nose, you could not see anything. You know how your eyes can somehow get adjusted to the darkness? There was no adjusting. <laughs> and so he's talking, he's talking about this cavern and how it might be, um, might have been created and, and so forth. And, he, and we're just listening and we're not moving a muscle because we don't want to fall into the abyss. And so uh, as he's talking, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, light my lighter and I want you to see how much light the single flame from my lighter creates. And so he did it. And, you know, we've been listening to him this whole time. And that little bitty flame seemed as if it lit up this entire cavern that he said would fit a blue whale. That's a big cavern. And we saw it as plain as day. No amount of darkness was able to overcome that light as small as it was. But now, as he's been talking this whole time, he says, now I'm going to turn the lights back on. So he turned the electricity back on. We saw the strip lights, you know, lining the path. And he was about uh, 70 yards ahead of us. We thought he was still close to us because we heard him talking, but he's just coming through the speaker system. So we didn't realize that he was walking away from us as he was speaking through the speaker system. So not only was that little tiny flame illuminating the cavern, but it was from a distance. You know, no matter where God is, he, we may think that he is so far away, but he is always visible. It's like he's always right here. No amount of darkness can prevent us from seeing him and can keep him away from us. Okay, now we mentioned the, the two main characters, um, per se, but... Like I said before, you know, there's, there's always like some drama involved. But we can't just let it play out for us. We have, to, we have to know because we're a part of this story. You know, back in the late 80s, that's um, 1980s, um, I was in a Christian rock band, Antioch, and uh, my brother and, and cousin were part of it. We played a lot of covers from popular bands of the time, like Petra and Whiteheart. And one particular song from Whiteheart had this title, Don't Wait for the Movie. And in the song, they sang, read the book, don't wait for the movie. The book meaning the Bible. Um, there isn't going to be a movie, okay? We need to read the book. We need to know what's going on because we're a part of that story. You know, how many of you have read a book and have been disappointed with the moody movie adaptation. <laughs> Some have been cringeworthy. 
I think some film directors use in excess the phrase, based upon the book. <laughs> the point is, don't wait for a movie. Read the Bible, okay? Now, as I was saying, we, we mentioned two main characters, per se, and, but there are many other notable characters, such as Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Peter, Paul, Mary, and Joseph. So what's next? Well, it's the plot. It's what's happening. Again, this is his story, not just history, but his story. We read that in the beginning, Jesus already existed. Therefore, he always existed with God and was God. He created everything. Okay, then what happened? John says, he came into the very world he created. So you see this plot. Jesus always was, and he created everything, and he created the world, and he created mankind, and then he came into the very world he created. And then here we get the Christmas story. It's just a part of the plot. It's not the beginning. It, it's a little bit further into the story, and it says a little bit later, so the word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. So you follow the plot. You follow what's happening in the story. Christmas is not the beginning. It's, it's a new beginning. You see, there was a reason that Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world he created and became human and made his home among us. Remember the first time we read in the beginning, back in Genesis? Well, it's there that we read what John wrote. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Well, part of that everything he created was us. Made in his likeness and image. Created to enjoy fellowship with him for all eternity. The first human was a man named Adam. And from Adam, God created the first woman, Eve, and they became the first husband and wife. But we know the story. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They disobeyed God, and they fell out of fellowship with God. And that broken fellowship has been inherited throughout all generations to us today. See, from that point of the fall, Jesus initiated his story to redeem us back into fellowship with him. And that story became part of Christmas and Easter, those bookends of Jesus' life that enabled us to have restored fellowship with God. So the means by which Jesus redeemed us, the means by which he rescued us in history is that he sent Jesus to become the second Adam. Fully God, fully man, 100% sinless. And as the one and only sinless human being, he alone was able to take our place of punishment. That's what we celebrate on Easter and Good Friday, him dying on the cross and him rising again, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. It's through that atonement, it's through that resurrection at Easter that is the reason we have Christmas. Jesus came to die. These are the bookends of Jesus' life, but they're not the beginning and the end of the story. His story is from beginning, and it's to eternity. And we're a part of that. Jesus' earthly life may have been between Christmas and Easter, and that is what's significant for us because it's the means by which we receive forgiveness. 
But our story as part of his story continues on. You know, there's good history and there's bad history. I mean, we can learn from bad history. You know, they did this, don't do that either. Or don't do that also. Uh, regarding bad history, you've heard it said, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? Now, regarding good history, you can't get any better than the story of salvation, right? Well, that's his story. And if you don't learn from History, if you don't learn from his story, you're doomed forever. See, his story is the ability for us to have fellowship with God. So what's next? We mentioned characters, plot, setting. All right, this is where the story is happening. Well, we have eternity. Um, we have in the beginning, where God always existed, I don't think I'm going to find that on Google Maps. Um, we have Bethlehem and Judea. I can put my finger on that. These are settings. Okay, this is where action takes place. And that about covers it, right? Character, plot, setting, or does it? Let's go back to characters. See, there's a very important character that I forgot to mention. It's you. It's me. That's right. We are a part of his story. So often we read about Jesus. We've heard the familiar stories that are in the Bible. We, we know about the, the fall of man and the redemption of man and, and why Jesus came to earth and, and why he died and, and all the different miracles that happened. And, and we've heard these stories, but we don't really consider ourselves part of that story. And tonight, that's what I want all of us to realize that when we go home, we recognize that we are not only a part of history, but we're a part of his story. Now you might think, well, shoot, I'm not written about in the Bible, and I'm not even anyone special. The guys in the Bible, I mean, they were special. Well, we mentioned that Matthew and Luke um, wrote about Jesus' nativity, but each of them also include Jesus' earthly genealogies. Matthew writes as a matter of historical record, Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Abraham, uh, proving to his Jewish audience that, that Jesus was the Messiah of the lineage of King David. Luke, who frequently names Jesus as the Son of Man, records Jesus' genealogy all the way back to the first man, Adam. And we already mentioned that to redeem us, Jesus became the second Adam. See, these records are in there as a matter of history so that we can recognize his story that we are a part. But guess what? There are many names recorded in that genealogy that we know really nothing about other than they're in, in the list. They made the list. You know, we don't say, well, this person did these great things, and this person did this great thing, and we don't really know anything about them. And there are even some people in there that we might think ought to have been left out. But they're there nonetheless. Think about it. If someone were to write your biography, what would they write about you? What tales could be told? What acts of significance, heroic feats ought to be remembered? Well, maybe not heroic, but what would be written about you? What is something of significance that you contributed 
to those around you in your lifetime. Not all of us are writers, much less would consider writing an autobiography. But if someone were to write a biography about you after your passing, in other words, you don't have any say-so in what's written, you're gone. But what would be written? That's your story. What we've got to realize is that we're a part of his story. And as a Christian, your biography, so to speak, is already being written in heaven. That's right. When we stand before Jesus, we will give an account for how we spent our life. And when Jesus reads your biography, so to speak, and he asks you and shows you and reads to you how you spent the time, talent, and treasure that was given you, what will that sound like? What will that look like? You can't go back and, and add some more things. You have a biography being written in heaven right now. And you'll get to hear from that one day when you stand before Jesus. So what acts of eternal significance will be read from that book held by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus? Here's number one thing to take away. You are a character in his story. You don't live for yourself. You are a part of the story of Jesus redemption of mankind. Now, there's a literary term that is an important ingredient in any good story, and that's called character development. Many of you probably heard that phrase. In other words, how does the character progress from when we first read about them in the beginning of the story to the end of the story? You know, how do they progress in, in their actions, the way they think, the way they react to certain circumstances and situations, how they interact with other people? They're, they become more complex and more interesting. It keeps us reading. Well, we ought to have a character development too. We call that spiritual maturity. Um, a theological term is sanctification. That is a, a daily... Uh, growing into more and more like the character of Jesus. So we would say, since we're a character of his story, our character development should be putting on the mind of Christ, having the attitude of Christ, and becoming more and more like Jesus. From the time that we first made a commitment to follow Christ, there should be character development to be more and more like Christ throughout our lives. You know, on Sunday, Pastor told of the tragic story of a young man who was so bitter with his father after not giving him what he wanted when he wanted it that when his father wrapped it as a present and put it under the Christmas tree, the son left, never receiving the very thing he wanted. Well, imagine this. Imagine you as a parent, you love to give good gifts to your children. It's Christmas. It's Christmas time. Let's do a Christmas illustration. You wrap up a gift that you know your child will like. Let's say it's your daughter. And it's, a, and it's a doll that you know she's wanted. She's seen the commercials and she says, I want that, I want that. She's written it down. I love this dolly. I want this dolly. And you buy this dolly. You wrap it in pretty paper. You put it under the tree. You're so excited for the time that she's going to open it. Christmas morning comes. 
she tears open the wrapping paper and she squeals with delight and your heart just goes, mm, you know, you just melt because you know you made her so happy. And she puts it in the closet and never touches it again. I'm getting flashbacks of Pixar's Toy Story. <laughs> but it was an unwanted toy. <laughs> Not to personify the doll, but as a parent, you, you feel a little crushed inside. It's like, you really wanted this. I, I gave this to you, and I want you to enjoy it. In fact, I'd like you to enjoy it with your other friends. Like, when, they, when your other girlfriends come together, and you play with dolls together, and you know, and it's, and it's meant to be shared, too, and, and bring happiness and joy, and it's ignored. You kind of feel like, gosh. Well, imagine how Jesus must feel sometimes when he gives us a particular talent, an ability, uh, a gifting of some sort. You know, the amount of wealth that we're able to accumulate through our intellect and skill, the time that we have each day and how we spend it. You know, we remember well the parable Jesus told of the three servants who received one, two, or five bags of silver and were told when he left to invest them. And, you know, the ones who had two and five bags invested wisely, doubled their investment, and were rewarded with, you know, more responsibilities. But the guy who had one buried it and was, was cast out because he didn't do anything with it. And... The master was, was angry with him and cast him out. But I'm wondering if he was also hurt because he didn't utilize what was given to him. I wonder if he was disappointed because the servant not only was lazy, but feared the master instead of loved him. You can't, you can't love the one you fear because fear moves you away but love brings you close and so by admission of the servant who was afraid of him also admitted that he didn't really love him when you are doing something for God it's not it's not a compulsory thing that you know I have to do this because it's a legalistic thing or or I fear judgment you know we're, we're not motivated by fear we're motivated by love when you look at your time, talent, and treasure and you're motivated on what to do on the things that you can do with those that have eternal significance, your motivation should be out of love. So that brings us back to plot. You know, a lot of people, you've heard it said, uh, a lot of people have said the book of Acts is, you know, doesn't end. It's continually being written. And your name may not be Epaphroditus, but like Paul wrote in his letter to the church at Philippi, you can still be a true brother or sister, a co-worker, a messenger. You be you. But the plot of your story as a part of his story is really whatever you're doing. The plot of his story is whatever you are doing right now. That's number two. Number one was you are a character of his story. Number two is the plot of his story is whatever you are doing right now. 
1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I remember, uh, I think it was Johann Sebastian Bach who always wrote um, to the glory of God you know, at the end of all of his church cantatas. And um, it's just how he, how he did that. And I think Handel did that too, the person who wrote the Messiah uh, cantata. That's how we should live. And finally, brings us back to setting. Well, that's easy. Brownstown. Later tonight, when you go home, it might be Flat Rock or Woodhaven or Taylor or Southgate. Number three, the setting of his story is wherever you are right now. That's the setting. Wherever you are right now. The plot is whatever you are doing right now. Now, at the very instant, it may not have eternal significance, but it can. But the plot is whatever you are doing right now. And you are a character of his story. You're not just living your own life in isolation. You're part of his story. So what's your place in his story? What's your place in history? When you blink your eyes, the split second before you blinked your eyes, that's now history. Take a deep breath. The second before I took that breath just now, that's now history. I can't change that. That's past. And although our human histories have a finite beginning, our eternal souls have no ending. And that's why it's so important to recognize the reason and the meaning behind Christmas. The story of Christmas is when God became man, Emmanuel, and dwelt among us. So how should we live? In closing, Philippians 2, 2 through 11, we ought to love one another. We ought to work together with one mind and purpose. We ought not to be selfish. We ought not to try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others as better, as not thinking of our others as better than ourselves and not looking out only for our own interests, but taking interest in others too. Because the Christmas story is Jesus who did not think equality with God as something to cling to, but gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Yes, born as a babe in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. But that was the attitude of Jesus. Talk about an inconvenience. Some people are feeling inconvenient about going to church on Sunday because it's Christmas. I mean, what better day to worship God, right? And if you're watching online, 10 o'clock, one service here at Woodland, 10 o'clock, you will want to be with us. Jesus left heaven to come down to earth as a babe. That's inconvenience. But he did it for us. You know, imagine you're on a luxury cruise. Sounds good right now. Um, you know, you're on this big ocean liner. Call it the SS Paradise. And you en you're enjoying fellowship with Jesus. And you're told you can go anywhere on the ship, but beware that you lean over the railing on the starboard uh, deck because that upper starboard deck, the railing's loose. So you can go anywhere you want, but, but don't go over there. Well, guess what? You see a strange creature on the starboard side of the ship and you want to get a closer look, so you lean over right where you're not supposed to and guess what? Splash. 
you fall overboard. And now you're drowning. And you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to end up fish food. You're going to be on the bottom of the ocean in total darkness, dead in your sin. Pre-morbid? <laughs> well, just then, Captain Father God sends his son Jesus overboard to rescue you. Jesus was sent from the SS Paradise to where you were to save you from certain death. Different word picture. But now it's your turn. This is you in his story because his story is continued through you. Jesus is not walking around in the flesh, but when we accept Jesus as our Savior, he lives and dwells within us. And now we become his hands and feet extended. We become his mouthpiece sharing the good news. It's our turn when we see someone drowning to throw a life ring to them. If you were on a ship and you saw someone drowning who fell overboard, you wouldn't just go back to the buffet table. You would throw a life ring to them. Now let's say this life ring says Jesus on it. Okay, and it's a life ring is a ring. It's, it's a, you know, it has no beginning, no end. And what did John tell us? Jesus always was, always is, and always will be. You know, he's eternal. So they, they're thrown this life ring. You're giving them Jesus. You're offering them Jesus. But what do they have to do? They have to put on Jesus. The Bible says that we have to put on Jesus. When we go before God, it's, we don't have any merit to say, Hey, God, look how good I've been. No, we have to put on Jesus so when God the Father sees Jesus, okay, well, Jesus is sinless. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is my son. I see Jesus' perfection. I don't see your imperfection because we've put on Jesus. See, Jesus has more than just saved us from death. He has given us a means by which we can save others through him. Now, we couldn't jump into the water and save them ourselves. I don't care how good a swimmer you are, you couldn't jump overboard into the ocean and save that person. But you could give them Jesus, and Jesus alone can save them. The question is, will you offer Jesus to them? This is why I, mentioned, why I entitled this The Greatest Rescue in History, because it was initiated at Christmas and continues through us. You know, we're less than two weeks away from the start of 2023. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and many of us will make New Year's resolutions and set personal goals for ourselves. And these are great things to do. And you may plan to exercise to improve your health. That's a great thing. But don't neglect your spiritual health. You may resolve to improve your relationships with your spouse, your children, your co-workers. Excellent. But seek to also improve your relationship with God. See, when you put your relationship with God first, God will enable you to have a better relationship with other people. Let me close with this. Your story is constantly being written. The next page is always blank. You decide what will be written upon it. Will you write something that has eternal significance? So when God reads your biography, he can point to the ways that you've used your time, talent, and treasure for his glory. As you strive to improve your story, remember you're a part of his story. I've given all of you a little 
piece of paper here. And I'd like you, if you would, to use this as a reminder. Because none of us are promised a tomorrow and we need to make today count. But to remember that we're a part of his story and that our story is continually being written, I want you to have this piece of paper that says today. And I want you to put it by your nightstand when you go to bed. And when you wake up in the morning, look at that blank sheet of paper and say, today is a blank page. It can be whatever I write on it. What will I do for Jesus today? Then, when you go to bed at night and you pray to God, maybe you think about the things that you've done today, think about tomorrow, I want you to turn it over. And before you go to sleep, I want you to look at this blank sheet of paper that says tomorrow and recognize that tomorrow can be whatever you want it to be. It's a blank page in your biography. What will you plan to do tomorrow that will have eternal significance? It's your choice. When you wake up in the morning, turn it over again. It's today. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. And God's mercies are new every morning. You and you and you and me, all of us, have been given time, talent, and treasure. All of us will give an account to God. All of us have a blank page in our biography. Let us pray that we do with it what God intended so that he receives the glory in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, this story of Christmas, your story, the story of redemption, the story of salvation, of forgiveness, Lord, continues through us and extends to other people who desperately need to know of your love and salvation and forgiveness for them. Lord, may we not take our own salvation for granted that we miss the need of others. May we not just be found sunning ourselves on the Lido deck and not recognize the cries for help of people drowning in the ocean below us. Father, we have the means to offer you because only you can save them. We can't, but we have to be willing to throw out that life ring. Help us to recognize the help they need. We won't bring anything into heaven but the people who accept you as their savior. Lord, may we be found faithful when we stand before you. And may we hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Be with us now. Give us safety throughout the rest of this week and help us to be mindful of what we can do daily for eternal significance and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.